Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, and the title of my message is Patches and Wineskins. So, if you like wine, you came to the right church today, because we're going to talk about it. Don't raise your hands, please. Uh, We're going to talk about it. Um, The title of the message, Patches and Wineskins. We're going to look at what Jesus talks uh, about in Matthew chapter 9. Go with me there to verse 14. The Bible says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 15, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Verse 17, neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh or new wineskins, and so both are preserved. In Matthew chapter 4, now understand we just read Matthew chapter 9, but thinking chronologically, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has heard of John the Baptist's arrest and imprisonment. So from then on, John's disciples begin to gather and come alongside Jesus' followers. They didn't all technically become Jesus' disciples. But they kept going back and forth to where John was incarcerated, where he was imprisoned. And they would give him reports. There's a moment in the ministry of Jesus where John asks his disciples to go and uh, find out because he's really interested to know whether Jesus is the Messiah. He's wondering what the ministry looks like, what, what's happening. And we're going to read a little bit about that this morning. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. I want to share with you something that just helps you understand the content of scripture that we're reading this morning, uh, looking at a little bit more context. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. I think that's so cool. Jesus loved his men in his crew enough to go to their hometowns and to minister with them in their hometowns. Look at what it says in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we be looking for another? Verse 4, And Jesus answered John's disciples, Go and tell John what you've heard and seen. The blind receive their sight. Come on, somebody. The lame are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. And the deaf are hearing. The dead have been raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. If you're poor, you need good news, (laughs) right? Hello, somebody. If you're rich, you need good news. But this is Jesus' words to them. And verse 6, he says, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, blessed is the one who accepts me. So Jesus tells John's disciples, You go back and you tell him, I am the one. I'm here and these awesome things are taking place. This This is what you've been looking for. Back to Matthew chapter 9. We have no reason in verse 14 to believe that there was anything other than curiosity in the heart 
of John's disciples. When you read through and you hear the Pharisees trying to corner Jesus in certain moments, and they're like, well, the law of Moses says so and so, and you can kind of like infer that bad attitude, I really truly think that John's disciples were truly interested in like, how is this working? Why are we fasting? Why are the Pharisees fasting? But your, your men don't. And so, verse 15, Jesus answers with a question. <laughs> I love that. It's just his style. It's kind of annoying, though, if you're having a conversation with somebody and they answer your question with a question, right? Um, Jesus did this all the time because he had something to say that was important. When you see the word bridegroom, this is an archaic word. I just want you to think of the word groom, okay? Just, it's groom or groom-to-be, but the way that it's translated from the original language is important for you to understand. It's just groom. Uh, Jesus is saying he is the groom. And while he's here on earth, it's time for celebration, not fasting. But when he's no longer physically present on the earth, it will be time to fast. Now, this message is not about fasting or how to fast or the differences between all the biblical fasts that we can find. We've talked about those at length before. But let me just be clear. Jesus' assumption was that you as a believer will fast when he is physically no longer here. You ever met a weird person that forgot to eat? They're like, ah, oh, so busy today, I forgot to eat lunch. I'm not that person, okay? Uh, fasting is a discipline that we should have in our lives. And it's not just an effort for there to be mourning because the groom is not with the bride kind of thing because Jesus is not here. But it's for us to get closer to God. It's that thing that we can set aside time and say, God, you're more important than these other things. And that is a powerful thing for a believer to do. Look at verse 16. Jesus is talking in verse 16. He, he begins to talk about patches, which is what we'll talk about today. How many of you have ever sewn a patch or, or fixed, like mended a garment? Raise your hand. Okay, some men, some women. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus gives them this really easy to understand example. But there's something deeper that Jesus is getting at. And that's what I want to tell you about today. He says in verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Essentially, a shirt that's been worn and washed several times and dried, it gets a hole or a rip in it. If you were to go to Walmart, and they have them in the arts and crafts section or somewhere like that, you can get patches. Like I've seen denim patches and a bunch of other stuff. Um, you can get those and you can go ahead and put it onto your clothing. Jesus is saying to these people living in those days that didn't have a Walmart, that were probably living meagerly, that means they, they weren't all filthy rich, so they couldn't afford new garments all the time. There were probably moments that they remembered having sewn a patch onto a garment that they already had because it's my favorite shirt. But Jesus says, if this takes place, if you put a new unshrunk piece of cloth onto a previously washed shrunk piece of cloth, as soon as you wash it again, what's going to happen is that new piece is going to tear a bigger hole because it doesn't match up. Jesus is talking about something specific, and it's not just fasting. Look at what Hebrews says. 
Hebrews chapter 8. We'll have it on the screen for you. Jesus is essentially relating this parable to them, telling them it's time for something new. And I found it incredible that the writer of Hebrews puts it like this in verse 6 of chapter 8. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's been enacted on better promises. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, I want you to think for just a second. The covenant-keeping God that we have has no fault in him. It's us who have failed to keep covenant with him. But now in Christ, we're able to live in a new covenant. So look, it says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. Look at what verse 13 says. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So Jesus is trying to tell John's disciples and the other people who are standing around listening, he's trying to encourage them and help them understand that he is the new that is replacing the old. Look at verse 17 of back to Matthew 9. Verse 17, it says, uh, talking about the wineskins, it says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Do you guys know what a wineskin is? Raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you, but okay. So it's not a glass jug. What they did was they skinned an animal and then they took the dried animal skin and they sewed it together to make a container. So they would put new wine, which is grape juice that is going to ferment into the skins, this, what they call the wineskin. As it fermented inside of there, it would cause gases to release and it would expand and expand and expand. So Jesus is talking to an agricultural people who fully understood how to make wine. And he's talking to John's disciples who he says this very clearly, but new wine is put into new wineskins. Here's why. Because if I took a batch of new wine that needs to ferment and produce gas, and I put it in an already expanded old wineskin, what would my temptation be? To fill it to the top. And when I fill it to the top and seal it, then it would expand to the point where I'd lose the wine and I would burst the wineskin. You say, well, then what's, what is a wineskin used for, like after the fact? Well, to carry other things like water in the future. It's like a canteen for these people who lived in this hot climate. So they would reuse and repurpose it for other things. So Jesus is saying something very important to them about the newness of the product, that wine, needing to go into a new wineskin. These are the obvious things that we can see in the passage, but it's, it's, it's helpful for us to dig a little bit deeper. In examining the original language in this parable, the double parable that Jesus shares here, it's important for you to understand at one point he switches from talking to fasting, talking about fasting, to talking about himself. He no longer is talking about, he's not saying, well, fasting is the magic thing that brings the new thing. He's, he's not doing any of that. He's trying to give them insight into the fact that he is the new thing. Amen? He is the new thing. 
But this was hard. In fact, I read, and I don't know what social media you're part of or all the things, but uh, there's an incredible um, resource out there that I follow all the time. It has conservative uh, news. And the gentleman who owns the company was asked, he's a Jew, he's a strong Jewish believer. He was asked a bold question by an interviewer, and they asked him and said, with all the things that you talk about, with the Torah, the law, the Old Testament, how it affected America and law and all the things, with all that stuff, why are you not a Christian yet? And so he answers boldly back to them, and the answer really surprised me. He said, I have no problem believing Jesus' messianic claims. The problem that I have, well, he talks about monotheism because Jewish but Jewish people believe just in one God and they have a hard time with the Trinity. But he says, the hardest thing for me to actually wrap my mind around is this, that someone else could die for my sins. So you have to understand, Jesus is talking in this climactic moment of history to these people who had believed for hundreds and even thousands plus years until his moment and ministry on the earth. And they'd been looking for a Messiah, but Jesus was not coming in the package that they thought he was. He didn't meet the expectations that they thought he should. He didn't behave. In fact, sinners wanted to hang around him, and they were like, hey, what are you doing with the tax collectors? The tax guy, all 87,000 of the new ones, they're not Jesus' friend. I'm just kidding. Sorry, I had to throw that out there. I'll stop and I'll keep going on the right path. Here's the deal though. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. Jesus is the new thing, but they were so wrapped up in the old thing that they couldn't see their need for a new thing. And they still today are blinded by the fact that they can't receive that new thing. So Jesus is talking about himself doing a new thing. And it, it led me into other places of scripture thinking about that term new. Thinking about the fact that out of nothing, God created something brand new. Thinking about the fact of the miracle of childbirth, even for us as humans, that new life can be created by the union of two souls together. That God loves doing something new. And here's what I hope to do today, is I hope that your faith begins to rise to understand that God is not about looking back to the old and staying stuck in that direction. He wants to do something new in you. And if you're an unbeliever, he wants to be the new thing. But if you're a seasoned believer, let me see your hands. If you've been saved more than a day, raise your hand. Okay. If you as a believer understand what Jesus is saying, it's not just that he's new, but that he wants to do something new in you. We sang about that this morning. Lord, renew me. Holy Spirit, renew my heart, my life. Here's some other places in scripture that talk about the newness that God loves to do. When God wants to do a new thing, we should not expect it to be contained in the old or expected form. Before I jump into scripture, let me give you this example. Okay, How many of you remember ever going to church as a kid and there were puppets? Raise your hand. Let me see. Okay. So 
Um, how many of you have ever seen, some of you are like, no, okay. have you ever seen a puppet? Raise your hand. Okay. So we've all seen a puppet back in the day, the coolest, the coolest thing to do for kids ministry and for evangelism was to do puppets. In fact, it's still a cool thing around in other places in the world. But here in America, we've progressed away from that, and it's taken over a different form, like digital media and uh, people on YouTube, or even when uh, Mike and Hope are upstairs and they're teaching our kids, they use a digital platform instead of a puppet and that kind of thing. Because culture has changed and shifted, so the method has changed. Here's what I want to tell you, though. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is unchangeable. It is not going to change. It never will. It's always been good news since we heard it the first time. It remains good news till the moment that the lights go off. Amen? But the methods have got to be changeable. I gave you the example. We don't have ushers. I don't have a problem with having ushers. I go to churches sometimes and visit, and I see ushers. There's nothing wrong with that. We just decided to go in a different direction. The method is changeable all the time. This is a really good thing for our church because we've talked about from really our beginning to not have any sacred cows. There is no room in this church that is Sister Betty's room. There's just not. If you need that room, we'll give you that room. If it's for a small group or a nursery or a this or a that, we're changing. I had somebody ask me, thank God for this somebody. Woo, thank God for this somebody. Somebody asked me recently, Pastor, would you be mad if I took this and put it over here in this other room and cleaned up and did a couple things? No. (laughs) Thank you. I love that. That's awesome. Let's do it. Methods have got to be changeable. So, Just have that in your head as we're talking through this. Jesus didn't conform to their expectations. God was doing a new thing. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 43. The message of the gospel is bigger, wider, and deeper than just Jesus came to save you. God wants to live inside of you. We do, unlike the Jewish people, believe in a trinity We believe the Holy Spirit is not dead somewhere or sitting on a couch in heaven, but that he's here and now in my life, helping me to not sin, helping me to live holy, helping me to witness and to share my faith with others. So while the message is unchanging, the methods do change. Look at what Jesus, or what's said about Jesus rather in Isaiah chapter 43. Verse 18 and 19. The Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about Israel's future salvation. And he says this, and I love it. Absorb these words today. Remember not the old things, the former things, nor consider the things of old. Verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God, through the prophet, is encouraging his people who have been held captive, who've been in bondage, who've been pushed out of their own country, who've been alienated, who haven't had a king, and all of these other wild, crazy scenarios. They've gone through it. And God is giving them hope about something new. Let that sink in your spirit today. 
that if you're going through something, God loves to do something new. He loves to do new things. I love that he gives us insight and we have the benefit of hindsight. Looking at Isaiah 43, we now see that obviously talks about Christ and the redemption of Israel. It was talking to them about a future Messiah. The faith that we have though, look at me and listen. The faith that we have always produces hope. If you truly believe in God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you accept Christ into your heart and you allow him to shape your life, you will never live a day without hope. You're not hearing me this morning. It is not hopeless. Your situation is not hopeless. The circumstances that you face are not hopeless. The God that you serve loves you and wants you to understand that hope should be in your heart because of the faith you have in him. He has more in store for each of us, I believe, in our future than we even realize or recognize heard a young man this week. I had the opportunity to substitute teach for two days. Thank God I made it. <laughs> it, was, it was rough there for a little bit. <clears throat> but anyway, I, uh, I had a chance to be at the pep rally for the students and um, actually got called to be a volunteer for a game. Then they had this young man who's new to the school and new to the team who has homeschooled for the past 10 years, nine years, and wanted to play football. So he wanted to go to school. And um, this guy, he, he could be a preacher. I mean, he did an awesome, awesome, awesome job just inspiring them. But he said something really interesting that stuck with me. He said, there was not a moment in my life that I would think I was here. I would be here right now sharing with you. Because he didn't see it. He didn't see it coming. And he talked about the goodness of God in his life and, and talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for us. Sometimes we can't perceive it. Even in Isaiah, God himself is saying, I'm doing a new thing. I've always been doing new things. Can you not see it? I want you to see it. So you say, well, pastor, it's hard when I look at my coworkers, my boss. It's hard when I look at my marriage, when I look at my finance, when I look at whatever the situation that you're dealing with or you're facing. But God loves to do new things. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If you're in Christ, you are new. You're brand new. That's why we call them baby Christians. <laughs> we don't really call them ancient Christians, but there are seasoned believers who've been around for a while. But baby Christians, I love being around baby Christians because sometimes they just don't know any better and they just have hope and they just, and they just love Jesus and they think he's going to help them. And I'm like, this is awesome. We got to get there. Can I say it like this? We got to get back there. The message to the churches in the book of Revelation says, I want you to come back to your first love. 
And I think for most of us, the temptation is there that we would put on our Sunday best, as we say, or you know, just at least get dressed, please, and then come to church. Y'all look good this morning. Come to church, though, on a week-to-week basis, and if you're honest with yourself, you may not have driven to church today with a prayer in your heart of, God, I'm ready for you to do something new. You may have, if you're a musician or a singer, you may have just been thinking about, I hope I don't mess up. If you're in the sound booth learning how to do that, uh, you might just be like, Lord, help me not mute the pastor. That's all I care about today. You know, like you don't, or helping at the door or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we need to maybe just be reignited with the thought of how far we've come and be filled with hope that God is not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. Amen? Look at what Ezekiel eleven nineteen says. In fact, he tells the, the children of Israel this repeatedly. He says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Lamentations chapter 3 tells us that God's mercies are what every morning? New. That his mercies are new every morning. Isaiah 42 tells us that we should sing a new song to the Lord. Revelation 21 says something incredible about the only one who is able to be seated on the throne in heaven. It says this, John sees this future moment when Jesus is seated on the throne and he says these amazing words again. Behold I am making all things new. The atheists are fools to think that this is all that life is. They are hopeless to ever see their family members ever again. They have no hope of an afterlife, but we have a hope that the God who created the universe designed you intricately in your mother's womb, brought you to life on this earth, has a divine design and plan for you to live out while you're here. And then you still get to be with him forever. That's amazing when you consider the work of God. So is it possible Sorry, this message is uh, really good for me, for your pastor. Is it possible that God wants to do something new in your life? Is it possible that he wants to heal you from a hurt that you've held on to? Is it possible that he's still in the business of obliterating obstacles and moving you to a place that you never dreamed you would be? Is it possible that he wants to do what he's been doing for thousands of years, baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire? Is it possible that he wants to mend your marriage, that he wants to bless you financially, that he wants to move that horrible boss to a different location and give you a new one? Is it possible? Is it possible that he wants a deeper relationship with you? And all he asks is for you to, Do what we sang about. Sit at his feet. 
Is it possible that he wants to give you peace from anxiety? The answer to all of these questions is yes. God wants to do something new. And I think for a lot of us, we get into this, what we could call complacency. We get to this place where it's just the repetition of life, the repetition of church. And we start to lose that, that idea that God is still able to do something new. And he wants to do it in you. Amen? I want to give you some practical steps today. Talking about patches and wineskins, and we didn't even, yeah, didn't go that much further in those things, but Jesus is the new thing, amen? And we as believers need to understand he wants to do a new thing in our life. And here's the deal. You don't know what it is most of the time. You don't know what it is. Just like that young 10th grade boy who is standing in front of hundreds of students and teachers speaking the gospel, telling them that God has a plan for their life at a Christian school, but he never thought he would be in a, in a moment like that. I never thought that we would make it to 10 years. We're almost there. Not 10 years of marriage, 10 years with you. <laughs> we made it 15 years in marriage, amen? And I never thought that was possible either. <laughs> I didn't think she'd stick with me this long. Here's the thing, you oftentimes don't know what the new thing is, so here's what my suggestion is. Before I give you the practical steps, open your heart and ask the Lord, Lord, show me, help me perceive what it is that you want to do new in my life. The first step is this, let go. Let go of the past. I think if I could say it like this, forgiveness is the key. There, it comes up from time to time and it's worth repeating every single time it comes up. There are many, many believers that are struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness towards each other, towards unbelievers, towards God. And they're suffering the consequences of it. Here's what I challenge you to do as you prepare yourself for what God wants to do new in your life. Let go of the past. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. I figured my daughters would appreciate that. Here's, here's the thing. What's done is done. I, I don't want it to sound callous. I'm just being a realist with you and telling you what has happened, it's already done. There's nothing you can do to alter it, to figure it out, to fix it, to undo it, to redo the right thing. It's done. So let it go. Let it into the hands of God. Say, God, you know what? I can't fix it. I don't know how to overcome it, whatever the case may be. But I believe with all of my heart that if believers saw the future as brighter than their past, we would be a church on fire. We might set the world on fire in a good way. It's, it's, a, it's a garbage dumpster fire as it is. Let's set it up ablaze for Jesus. Amen. Step number two. I should just say, stop it. Okay. Which I've spoke about before. That's why I got a couple chuckles. Step number two is war against complacency. You've actually got to do this. I still date my wife. 
We used to, before we were married, we had like five dates a week. (laughs) And that was without kids and more money in the bank. But now, we still date. 15 years in. How many of you have been married longer than 15 years? Raise your hand. Take him or her out on a date. Go to their favorite restaurant. You can't just allow it to get to a place of complacency. The same thing is true in your relationship to God. Here's what I say. In order to war against complacency, the thing that you actually have to do is live in repentance. Well, pastor, Jesus forgave all my sins. I was 12 years old. I walked up to the... No, there's a sin that you did yesterday and last week that you need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me and wash me? You keeping yourself in a posture of repentance is a key to overcoming complacency. In fact, A.W. Tozer said it like this. Listen well when I say this quote. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Becoming complacent will literally kill your relationship. You've seen it in real life, and you can take it and apply it to your spiritual life as well. So shake it off. Don't make more of morality. Make more of Jesus. That's, that's Jesus' ministry. He, he's talking to the Pharisees as they're going, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you wash your hands? And why don't you And they're just on and on and on about the stuff that's the old stuff. And Jesus is saying, you're going about it wrong. I want to do something new. <laughs> that's not to say that we shouldn't be holy and live according to a moral conduct, but it's for us to get to shake out of that place of complacency. In fact, I would say it like this. Relationally based holiness happens naturally as we live lives of repentance. So the, so I'm not trying to tell you be holy like I'm holy and you've got to do it this way. I'm telling you if you have a living relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he's going to help you to not do the wrong thing and help you always do the right thing. And when you screw it up, because that happens, you come to him and you say, Father, I've messed it up. I need your help. Will you please help me? And God, in his loving kindness and his new mercies every day, will wash you and renew your strength. Amen? Step three. This is the last for the day. Embrace the unknown. Embrace the unknown. What do I mean when I I say that? I've hinted at it a few times in the message, but faith is key. I don't know how else to truly communicate that in the Bible Belt of the South. Having a living faith, a belief that God gave me this day to live on this earth and he wants me to serve him and please him. Having a daily walk with him, believing, truly believing and letting my life be the outflow of that belief. That is what we can do in order to prepare ourselves for what is coming that is new. Faith is key. Now, I know we shake our finger at, you know, the disciples. Oh, they're so crazy. I can't believe they didn't believe in Jesus, you know. (laughs) 
Oh, I can't believe that Joseph, he was so stupid. He just told his brothers all the dreams. Oh, I just can't believe that so and so. And we, we point fingers at people in the Bible. But if God wakes you up tonight and tells you, pack your bag, I'm not telling you where you're going and take a step out of your tent tomorrow morning, how many of you would do it? That's not me throwing a dart at you. I would have to say, okay, God, so I need three more nights of dreams like this. Let's confirm your word. Um, We would all be in the same place. But it took faith for a man named Abraham to just walk with God and to leave it all behind. Are you open to the new thing the Lord wants to do in you? You say, well, pastor, what are some of the things that he could do? Like I hinted at already and mentioned already, he he wants to mend marriages and help you. He wants to bring healing to your heart. He wants to do a lot of great things inside of you. But the new thing that he wants to start with is what we talked about from the prophet when he says to the Israelites, to the Israelite people, I want to do a new thing and give you a new heart. Your very first step is becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait for eternity to come to see God do something new. In fact, I really truly believe this, that if two or three of us opened ourselves up individually to what God wants to do new in us, collectively, there would be a domino effect. I really, truly believe that. So, pastor, what could it be? It could be a different type of service in the kingdom of God, in the house of the Lord. It could be that God wants you to reach out to your neighbor in a way that you haven't before. It could be that God wants you to take a step of faith to initiate what's new. Think about that. Would you stand with me today? I want to challenge you today to open up yourself to the Lord. The prayer that we faithfully pray almost every at the end of every message is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Katie, I don't know what the Holy Spirit might have ministered to your heart, but I can tell you it's probably different than what he did to Jessica, than to Tim, than to Eric. Than... It's because we're all individual. We all have our relationship with the Lord that God wants to do something special in you. You're not a robot. He loves you individually. He knows the stress that you're going to face going back to school. He knows the transition in your family life. He knows the issues that you face, and he wants to do something new. So would you reach out to him today? Would you just close your eyes with me? Just take a moment in his presence. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to each of us. God, I pray that you would open our spiritual ears to hear. Lord, that you would truly move in our midst. God, that you would do an unmistakable work in each individual life that's represented here today. God, I pray that you would help us to be preparing ourselves for the new thing that you want to do in us. I want to encourage you. The worship team is going to begin to play their encore. We don't do this very often. 
but I wanna encourage you to find a place to pray and step out of your seat. I would hope that the majority of us do that. Just come up here. It's a little bit uncomfortable to get out of your little comfort zone, but it's a cool thing to do on a day like today because it's different. And just come up here and worship. We'll have the words on the screen. Amy's gonna lead us in a song. Go ahead. Yeah, come on up. Just find a place. You can kneel at the the altar around here. You can stand. Uh, Just let's worship the Lord and ask him to do something new in each one of us.